So last week, we started a sermon series in the book of Lamentations, which is an, a book in the Old Testament. Um, and I just want to give you some context for that book as we begin again um, before we read Lamentations chapter 2. In the Old Testament, God chooses the nation of Israel to be his people, to reveal himself to the world. The, the nation of Israel is meant to be a kingdom of priests, a, a kind of mediator nation between the whole world and God. And so Israel were to reveal God to the whole world. And so God chooses the nation Israel and he teaches them how to live, how to flourish. That's why God gives the law. That's why God gives instruction to his people Israel that they would live in a moral way and flourish. And so people would look upon the wisdom and morality of Israel and see the goodness of God. He teaches them how to live in relationship with him. The God's people, Israel, will have to have a close, wonderful relationship with God. But the story of the Old Testament is a story of disobedience. Israel disobeys. Israel rebels against God. Israel is, is not a nation of priests who point the whole world to God himself. There are, there are people who reject God and go their own way, do their own thing, challenge God's commands and God's instructions, think that they know better. And so one of the other things the Old Testament is clear about is that there is a punishment for sin. There is a penalty for doing things wrong. And so as a consequence of the sin the nation of Israel commits, God raises up the Babylonians. And the Babylonians come and invade and conquer Jerusalem. And the book of Lamentations is a response to that act of the Babylonians. It's a lament. It's a sorrowful expression for the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. That's where this book comes in. It's, it's this writer and the city of Jerusalem pouring out grief at what has happened to the city of of Jerusalem. We're going to read chapter 2 this morning, Lamentations 2, verses 1 to 22. If you want to know about the punishment that awaits non-Christians, those people who don't follow God, then listen in this morning, because that's what chapter 2 is all about. If you want to see the people of God authentically express grief, then listen in this morning because Lamentations is an expression of grief, grief, which is authentic. And many of us right now need to and want to express grief. And so this book, Lamentations, is going to help us. If you want to see some of the failures of the church exposed, then this chapter in Lamentations 2 is going to do that, because this is a powerful chapter of Scripture, but it's often a challenging chapter of Scripture. And so let's, let's read Lamentations chapter 2 together, 22 verses. And you'll remember from last week that the reason it has 22 verses is because each verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic poem that we're going to read right now together. So Lamentations 2 verses 1 to 22. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion 
under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its, place, all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord had made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation he has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamour in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infant and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth. They cry, we have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we have see, Now we have it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice 
over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see with whom have you dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned, as if to a festival day, my terrors on every side. And on the day of anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. That is a hard-hitting, grievous, powerful chapter of the Bible. Now you might notice how Lamentations 2 begins. Lamentations chapter 1 begins with how lonely sits the people, a city, sorry, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. And so Lamentations chapter 1 is primarily a reflection on the misery and plight and loneliness of the city Jerusalem. It's, it's focused on Jerusalem and her mournfulness, her lamentation, her sadness. In chapter 2, this second acrostic poem begins with the same Hebrew word. Lamentations 1 starts, how lonely. Lamentations 2 starts, how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion in a cloud. He cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. And so while chapter 1 focuses on Jerusalem, how lonely is Jerusalem? Chapter 2 focuses more specifically on God, how God in his anger has acted. God is the actor of chapter 2. It is the actions of God that is focused on in chapter 2. Chapter 1 focuses on the consequence of God's actions, the, the sorrow, the misery, the plight of Jerusalem, whereas chapter 2 focuses on God himself acting in anger upon the city of Jerusalem. The imagery of verse 1 is quite moving, quite powerful, I think. He, the writer of Lamentations says that God has set Jerusalem under a cloud. Maybe that's how you felt during this pandemic, while you've been in lockdown. Maybe you felt like you've been living under a cloud. It, it's been dark and difficult, and there's something weighty kind of pressing down on you or, or overcome, overcasting all of your life. For Jerusalem, the cloud described in verse 1 functions as, functions as a metaphorical barrier between God in heaven and his people on earth. If God resides in heaven and the people on earth, when this cloud, metaphorical cloud comes, it, it blocks God 
from his people on earth. And so if you reflect on Jerusalem's past, there's something wonderful about verse 1. To live in Jerusalem was to live at the footstool of God. To live in Jerusalem was to live your whole life at the feet of God, in worship to him, knowing him looking down upon you and blessing you and providing for you. So to live in Jerusalem has, in the past, been a wonderful and glorious, amazing thing. But now this cloud has come and created this barrier. So so if you live in Jerusalem, it feels like you can no longer see God. You've been overcast by this dark cloud and God is blocked from view. And, And so this cloud, in a sense, has taken the splendor of Israel and cast it down from heaven to earth. The splendor of Israel has been destroyed, thrown down, cast down, says verse 1. And so in the past, Israel had a deep, personal relationship with God, a closeness with him. They worshipped him and he brought splendour into the city. But now all of that has gone. This cloud has come. The splendour has been cast down. And instead of splendour, there's shame and separation from God. If you follow this idea of, of the cloud in scripture... You read Isaiah 63 and 64, and Isaiah 63 reflects upon the rebellion of Israel and the judgment of God. And in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, look and see all this terrible, um, all, all of this that has happened. And then Isaiah 64, 64 verse 1, opens with Isaiah saying, Lord, Tear the heavens, rend the heavens. Isaiah longs for God to come and to rip open the heavens and restore this splendor to Israel that's been lost through Israelite sin. It's amazing then to follow that into Mark chapter 3 and the baptism of Jesus Christ, the story story of the baptism of Jesus, where it also says that the heavens were torn. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn, according to Mark, and the Holy Spirit descended as a dove upon Jesus Christ. And so it's amazing to think that this rebellion of Israel has caused this cloud to overcast over all of Jerusalem. And Isaiah the prophet longs for that cloud to be torn apart. And then when Jesus comes, the cloud is torn. The heavens are rent apart. And so Jesus comes as a saviour to restore the relationship between God and his people in Jerusalem, in Israel. The the cloud that's described in Lamentations 2 is torn apart and broken down. So there's beautiful imagery in verse 1, and I could potentially preach a whole sermon just on verse 1. But the thing I really want you to see in verse 1 is that it's God who is acting. He sets Jerusalem under a cloud. He casts down the splendor of Israel. He does not remember. You know, it's God acting in verse 1. And in fact, in the first eight verses of Lamentations 2, it's all about the action of God. If you're making notes, that's my first point this morning. God acts in anger. In verse 2, he swallows up. He breaks down. He has brought down. In verse 3, God cuts down 
He withdraws his right hand. He has burned, it says in verse 3. In verse 4, he has bent his bow. He has killed. He has poured out his fury. In verse 5, God has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up. It repeats that phrase of swallowing up. He has laid in ruins. In verse 6, God has laid waste. He has spurned king and priest. In verse 7, God has scorned the altar. He has disowned the sanctuary. He has delivered Jerusalem into the hand of the enemy. In verse 8, God has determined to lay in ruins. God did not restrain his hand. Do you see, for eight verses, Lamentations 2 is all about the action of God. There are 27 verbs in the first eight verses of Lamentations chapter 2, and they are all attributed to God. Those 27 verbs are all things God does, and they are all verbs that describe, describe God's action in judgment against the sin of Jerusalem. The text describes God acting. And therefore I repeat my point from last week. God does not leave sin unpunished. God is active in justice. God is an avenger upon wrongdoing. He is an enactor of judgment. When the city of Jerusalem sins, God acts. And the same is true upon all sins and all evil deeds. All wickedness will be punished by God who is active in justice. It's a terrifying picture, isn't it? If you put all those verbs, as I did, in a long list, God comes across as a terrifying God. A fierce God. Fiercely good in that he's punishing evil by his action. And so point one is God acts in judgment. But God doesn't just act in those first eight verses. It's not just his actions that are terrifying. It's also God's attitude as described by Lamentations 22, verses 1 to 8. In verse 1, it says of God, he is acting in his anger. It says he swallows up without mercy. In verse 2, it says of God, he's acting in his wrath. In verse 3, he's acting in fierce anger. In verse 4, God bends his bow like an enemy. In verse 5, God has become like an enemy again. And in verse 6, it says God is acting in fierce indignation. God's actions are terrifying, but his attitude is perhaps even scarier. God is angry. He is without mercy. He is like an enemy. He has fierce indignation, according to Lamentations chapter 2. Now, I want you to think back on your experience of church. How often have you heard verses like these read and reflected on within your church? How often have you heard pictures of God like this read and preached on? 
Because we speak often of God being loving, not angry. We sing about being God's friend, not his enemy. We talk of God as one who builds us up, not as one who cuts down. So the question is, what's going on in Lamentations 2? Why is this terrifying picture of God's action and God's attitude put so starkly? What's going on in Lamentations chapter 2? The answer is, because of Jerusalem's sin, she is no longer being treated as God's people, but rather she is being treated as an enemy of God. The people of Israel used to be God's people. Um, God would treat Jerusalem as his child whom he loved and adored and cared for. But because of Jerusalem's sin, God now treats Jerusalem as an enemy. This is very, very important. Lamentations chapter 2 describes how God treats his enemies. When we sing and speak and talk about God's love, and God's care, and God's friendship in church, which we do often at Christchurch Fairham, we speak as children of God, who have had our sin forgiven through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, and then rose from the dead in glory. And so when we say, I am a friend of God, That's only possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross. What is being described here in Lamentations 2 is how God deals with sin and therefore how he punishes those people who do not believe in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and you go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. And and you move into this place of eternal, steadfast love that God will have for you. So you can sing of God's love. You can sing about being a friend of God. But if you do not have Christ, if you do not put your faith in Christ, then Jesus' death on the cross has done nothing for you. His resurrection from the dead is meaningless for you because you've not put your faith in him. You do not believe believe in him. You have not received the the benefits and the blessing of Jesus' actions upon the cross and in his resurrection. And so you will be treated by God as a sinner. You will be treated by God as his enemy, according to these verses in Lamentations chapter 2. I want to be extremely clear. There is a sense in which God loves everybody. You, you, can, you can read the Bible and you can see verses and places which speak of God's love for all of creation and every person. And because sometimes the church has focused on that message, there are, in my opinion, non-Christians living under an illusion that God loves them and therefore everything's going to be absolutely fine. They can do whatever they like and it's absolutely fine because God is a God of love. I think, I think there are probably non-Christians who've heard the, the woolly message of the church saying God loves you and they're going, All right, okay, God loves me, I'm okay, I can do whatever I want. But when you read the Bible, you see that the emphasis in Scripture when it speaks of love, is on God's love for his children. 
And when I use that word children, I use the word children in the same sense John, the gospel writer John uses the word children in John 1.12. And what John says is that all who receive Christ, all who believe in Jesus' name, are given the right to become children of God. And so when I speak about children of God, I'm speaking about those who believed on Jesus' name, put their faith in Jesus, received Jesus as king and lord and saviour. And so the emphasis, and when, God, when the Bible speaks of God's love, the emphasis is that God loves his children. God loves those who have put their faith in Jesus. And we are left with passages like this in Lamentations 2, which speak about how God deals with sinners, those who are not his children, those who are his enemies, those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, if you're someone living your life without Jesus, this passage in Lamentations 2 is terrifying. It should absolutely terrify. You should be shaking as you listen to this message because this is a terrible warning. God's judgment upon Jerusalem thousands of years ago is a message to us in the present that God punishes sin. God acts in judgment. God acts in a terrifying way. He treats those who do not believe in Christ as his enemies and he will destroy you. God will swallow you up. God will cut you down. God will pour out his fury. God will lay waste to your life. He's waiting. In mercy, God waits. He delays his judgment. He delays this punishment until the end of time, hoping that as many as possible would turn and believe in Jesus Christ. And so he waits. He does not bring about his judgment now. COVID is not the the judgment of God upon sin. There's something far worse coming at the end of time. So God is waiting for you to turn to Jesus and accept his mercy and his forgiveness. But if you do not do that, if you continue to reject Christ, you will suffer terribly under the anger of God. This is why Christ came, to turn enemies of God into friends of God, to turn rebels against God's commands into God's obedient children. All of us are by nature sinners and children of wrath. Not children of God by nature, children of wrath by nature, according to Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, has made Christians alive in Christ. Romans 5 verse 10, speaking of Christians, says this, We shall be saved from the wrath of God. If while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by Jesus' life? How can we be saved from wrath and reconciled to God? Well, that verse in Romans 5 says it's by the death of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus' crucifixion that children of wrath can be reconciled to God. And so if you have no faith in Jesus, Lamentations 2 describes the wrath and judgment that will come upon 
you. But God in his mercy waits. He longs for you to turn and believe in Jesus and be reconciled to you. When you believe in Christ, this cloud that hangs over your life is taken away. This cloud that acts as a barrier between God and his people is removed. And so every Christian, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus has a relationship with God, is reconciled to God. We pray to him as heavenly father and he treats us as his beloved children and he will continue to treat us as his beloved children for eternity. The judgment in Lamentations 2 will not fall upon Christians. For this is how God treats his enemy enemies. It's not how God treats his beloved children, those who in Christ have been reconciled to God. But if you are not a Christian, this message is terrifying. I do not have language strong enough to communicate to you the urgency and importance of believing in Christ. You must turn and believe in him. You must believe in his life, death and resurrection from the dead. I implore you with everything that I am, that if you're watching this video and you do not believe in Christ, you are in a very dangerous place. Believe on him. Put your trust in Jesus. He is a compassionate, loving king. He is a glorious saviour. To be in Christ is the most loving, joyful, peaceful thing ever. To be separated from Christ is to be in a terrible place, is to be an enemy of God. And the judgment that comes upon Jerusalem will come upon you as well. In Lamentations 2, God used the Babylonians to bring justice in Jerusalem. And God too will bring justice upon you unless you receive Christ and believe in him, in which case God will no longer be your enemy, but will be your friend and father. For those of us who already have faith, let us once more see power and necessity of salvation in Christ. We cling to Jesus in gratitude and thankfulness. We sing of God's friendship, knowing that it is Christ who has won that blessing for us, that it is God, uh, sorry, that it is Christ who has turned away God's fierce indignation upon our sin. For when Christ died upon the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He bore the wrath of God so that we might not have to, that we might instead bear the love of God as Christ bared God's wrath in our place. The goodness and righteousness and just nature of God is upheld. He has punished sin as a good God must, but his mercy is also revealed. For Jesus dies in our place, that God might be merciful towards us, that God might be rich in love towards us. Only in Jesus' crucifixion can you hold God's justice and God's mercy together in one place. And so Jesus dies an agonising death, a violent death, 
but it was a death died in love for us. Jesus went to the cross because he loves us, to rescue us. And so every Christian goes, I know Jesus loves me. He loves me so much. He died for me. And I know that I am a friend of God, not because I have never done anything wrong, but because Jesus bore God's wrath. He was my substitute. He died in my place. And therefore, all I know is God's mercy and love and friendship poured out upon me. The the cloud has been torn apart and my relationship with God has been restored because of what Jesus has done. If you are without Christ and refuse to turn to him, you will lament with groans. But your sorrow will be like the sorrow expressed here in Lamentations 2. It will be greater and the sorrow of the book of Lamentations, as you experience God's action, God's justice upon sin. And this sorrow will last into eternity. And so I plead with you once again, trust in Christ. Receive forgiveness from God. Do it today. Do it now. Say in your heart, Lord, I turn to you. I believe in Christ. I'm, I'm sca- I do not want to suffer the judgment described in Lamentations 2. But I want to know you, God, as friend. I want to know your love. I want to know your mercy. And so I believe in Christ now. Do it now, please. Please do it now. Heed the warning of Lamentations chapter 2. One further theme emerges from this chapter, and it will be my third point. So, I mean, if you're following my points, if you're making notes, my first point was that God acts in judgment. My second point, it was God, God has an attitude of anger in judgment. And my third point is this. Um, a focus on the sin and judgment upon the religious people of Jerusalem. In one sense, in in Lamentations 2, it's the whole city who has sinned against God. It's the whole city who has brought about God's fierce indignation and judgment upon the city. But religious leaders are particularly singled out for criticism. Look at verse 14. And there are a number of verses that speak to the theme, but particularly verse 14. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. The prophets in Jerusalem, the people who have claimed to speak for God, have shrunk back from declaring hard truths and instead told the people of Jerusalem the things they want to hear. They've spoken nice things, but those nice things have ultimately led to Jerusalem's destruction. Do you see that? That the prophets have seen falsely and deceptively and they've said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. God loves us. We can go on doing whatever we want. We've not been sinful. We've not done anything wrong. And God will protect us. That's, those are the kind of things the prophets have been saying in Jerusalem. And because they were speaking falsely, their lies have led to the destruction of this city. 
Do you see that? And so in that sense, it's the religious leaders, it's the prophets, it's the kings, it's the priests who are singled out in Lamentations for particular criticism. I think there's a warning here for the church and for every Christian that we would not be like those false prophets. We would not just speak the nice things and yet leave people in a desperate state that leads to their destruction. But we would be true watchmen, really loving and caring people, and we would bring the hard truths as well as the easier truths to preach and proclaim. I pray we would be a people who lovingly bring the hard truth as well as the easy truth. I don't want us to shout and scream in the streets with a megaphone like some of those preachers that you see who just shout about sin and hell at passers-by as loudly as they possibly can. That's not what I'm talking about. Rather, I believe that we should love people deeply and in action. We should care for people as much as we possibly can. And as part of that love and care, we should communicate to people in a, in a gentle way, but a blunt way. There is a penalty for sin. There is a punishment upon those who have done wrong. And God is just. He is waiting that he will bring that punishment. And so we should say to, do, to people, I would do all I can to lead you to Jesus, who can save you from the wrath of God. I long for you. To, to enter into faith and, and to not continue to live under the wrath of God. I pray for you to be saved. We need to communicate this in love. Let's not be like the false and deceptive prophets of Jerusalem. We need to speak truth to those people who we long to be saved. If they're living in an illusion that God loves them and therefore everything will be okay, then why would they turn? Why would they change? Why would they believe in Christ? They need to hear the hard truth about judgment upon sin as well as the good news of Christianity that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross to save sinners like you and me, that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. And so we've seen in Lamentations chapter 2 a picture of God's action and God's attitude against sinners who do not have salvation in Christ. But we, as Christians, know a better way. And I am so grateful that we can call Christ our saviour. He bore God's wrath in our place. So that Lamentations 2 still depicts a powerful and awesome God but the terror is removed. I read Lamentations 2 and, and I'm thinking, wow, God is mighty. I'm not thinking, I need to be terrified of God because of his fierce indignation, because I'm in Christ. Jesus died for me. And so I'm not under God's wrath. God's wrath does not scare me in Lamentations 2. It's wonderful to be in that place of reading this chapter going, Jesus died. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. Jesus bore our wrath in order that we might experience God's love so that we might read Lamentations 2 as a description of judgment that will come upon others, but not upon us. And so I, pr I pray for us today. 
that we would be filled with gratitude once again. We would experience God's rich mercy and God's rich love. We would rejoice at what Jesus has done for us and we would now in love pray for those who do not know Jesus and seek to communicate to them the hard truth that Lamentations 2 contains. God will not leave sin unpunished. He will be active in justice. We love God for this. If God were to leave sin unpunished, he would not be a good God. But because he is a righteous God, because he is a good God, he will punish sin. But as he waits, we long for our friends and family to be saved. And we pray for that. And we need to be active and open in going forth to declare that the good news of Jesus, that the good news of Jesus makes no sense without the hard truth about sin and justice and wrath that Lamentations 2 communicates to us. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for Christians that we would be bold to declare the whole truth of the Bible to those whom we meet. And I'm going to pray for non-Christians that they would receive Jesus and know his forgiveness. And if you are a non-Christian and you felt moved by God during this sermon that you need to be saved, as I pray this prayer, join in in your heart and then at the end say Amen. Amen simply means I agree. Uh, truly, truly, amen, amen. And so you're saying, yes, I join in with that prayer. I agree with that prayer. And that can be a moment for you of receiving salvation from God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess, every single one of us, that we have sinned. We have done things wrong. We have been rebels. We have been disobedient. And so, in a sense, each and every one of us are deserving of the wrath described in Lamentations 2. Lord, we confess our sin and we call out to Jesus for forgiveness once again. We thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you for his resurrection from the dead that turned God from being our enemy to being our friend, that turned wrath into love, that turned away the fierce anger, that, that tore open the clouds and the heavens that we might have a relationship with you. And so as Christians, we rejoice that Jesus died for us in love, that we might know your love and mercy. And I pray if there are any non-Christians now, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would receive the gift of faith, would believe in Christ and enter into friendship, not enmity with God. Lord, I pray for us as Christians as well. Lord, we confess that sometimes we shrink back from sharing these difficult truths in Scripture. Lord, I pray that our friends and family, those whom we encounter, would know our care and love for them. And that we would continue to express our love and care by communicating what is difficult about Scripture, what is hard about the message of Lamentations 2. Lord, we pray that through us you would give to people an urgency and a keen desire to receive Christ because they know that there's judgment upon sin. Lord, there's loads of ways we can preach the gospel. We can speak about your goodness and your love and your kindness. But Lord, there are times where it is necessary and important to also communicate your justice and your wrath against sin. And I pray that when those opportunities come, we would be bold to take those opportunities, that you would fill us with boldness. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with boldness now. Lord, we rejoice again that we will not suffer under the judgment described in Lamentations 2. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we are children of God. We love you for that. And we thank you that um, 
you have you've revealed something you've revealed power and your might and your goodness in lamentations chapter two to us and i pray that that would stay with us that we would take what is good and right from this sermon and know it in our hearts and our heads and live out this mission to share with others the mercy and forgiveness that is in christ and and the way that you have determined that we should move from wrath to mercy from being enemies to being friends of God. Thank you that we can say we are your friends, Lord God. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.